1: Hey everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs, I'm Paul.
0: And I'm Dan, and in this episode of Wandering DMs, we're gonna be talking about strongholds, bases for your player characters. And you know what they say, Paul, location, location, location. So are your player characters gonna settle in Aquilonia, or Rhyme Isle, or Mount Doom? We'll hash that out today on Wandering DMs.
1: Oh, Dan, I totally dropped the call there for a second. Sorry about that. Oh, okay.
0: (laughs) I'm back. Did you miss me? Did you notice I was gone? I, I, I very much so. <laughs> very much so. You need a stable base, Paul. You need a stable base where you're located.
1: Excellent, excellent. Um, and we were discussing uh, just prior to this um, that uh, that we well, we don't have like a like a large outline for different points we want to hit on this. We do have kind of the same big high level question, which is simply: Should you include this in your game
0: at all? I totally agree with that. And so I have a grab bag of memories. And so I think between, you know, you and I, Paul, we've we've experimented with different ways of player bases. And of course, we're thinking uh, including, you know, castles, which is a prominent feature in traditional D&D, as well as other things like maybe your players buy an inn and they stay there. Maybe they buy a house in town or maybe they're, they're living with their henchmen on a ship, possibly um mm, so mm. uh so i, I, got, I actually have a lot to say I have, about well, boats good that warms my okay. heart and i'm sure it warms <laughs> dave arneson's heart too <laughs> but um you know i think one of the tricky things about it of course is that you know particularly having a castle is traditionally the end game of D and you don't hit that mm-hmm. point until 9th 10th 11th 12th level and how many people actually get to that point so the amount that that was actually tested in uh, the traditional D&D g- game rules, eh, not so much. How how well does it interface with what we normally think of as D&D? Um, yeah. That is a little, still a little bit of an open question.
1: I feel like if you go back to the older texts, like, like original edition D&D, or even say the expert book in DX, um, a lot of energy is put into the the Uh, the wheres and whys and hows of building the stronghold, right? How much does it cost? How much labor do you need, right? All those details, but there's really no detail about, well, what is the game like at that point? How does that impact the play?
0: Totally agree. Which I guess is totally typical agree.
1: of those of those early books, right? A lot of a lot of time is spent on the details and not much spent on the broad picture of like, well, what the hell's the game anyway? How are we supposed to play this thing? <laughs>
0: you know, I wanna you know, I wanna bring up let's look at the let's look at the construction mm-hmm. table in original d So uh, in the in the very I pulled up the very first printing of original DD in the DMs book, and um, you get this this page of construction options. And I feel like this page is just so delightful because, and this is, this is it, right? And there's no, there's no explanatory yep. text for what these things are or what they, that they do for you, but a whole page are devoted to, to these hand-drawn pictures of components <laughs> of a castle, of towers and a keep and walls and barbicans and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. even the annotations are handwritten. Right, And so <laughs> I feel I'm just so delighted by this early, yeah. really hobbyist, and this was the actual publication to actual Dungeons and Dragons in the first printing. And I think and might, and someone could correct me, but I feel like this is probably Dave Arneson's work. This is the uh, this is the kind of work that Ar- that Arneson would do of pretty war gamey, a lot of detail. and I think that the art here matches other examples of Dave Arneson's art there. Um, and that is even the label construction is clearly hand, <laughs> hand filled in with a little bow face version. You have a table of like extra like doors and gates and portcullises and things like that and stairs, um, and, and that's how uh, DIY it was initially. Is this page of actual handwritten <laughs> notes on yeah. components that you could add and to a castle, it, and it's so enticing,
1: right? It feels like oh, I really want to engage with this part of the game.
0: But how? how? Thank you for saying on? that. <laughs> yeah, this is exactly how I feel. This is exactly how I feel all the time is I get, you know, I got excited about that as a, as a teenager and before. And um, uh, uh, yeah, and of course, this was, you know, carried forward and lightly edited in all the early editions of D&D. It's first edition has this. The expert, the, the, the basic expert rules have this. And it definitely looked like, well, this is, this is what you're aiming for. This is ultimately what your mm-hmm. player characters are aiming for, and I want to get to that point really badly. Yeah.
1: Now, I, I, hate, I hate to pick at sore wounds here, Dan, but uh, the, the thing that I'm immediately reminded of is how the games that you ran of outdoor spoliation kind of evolved over the years at HelgaCon. Um, so so Dan has traditionally always run this game uh, and it's sort of like a it's almost episodic right it's almost uh, kind of a serial game where you started with the equally um unclear rules on outdoor adventuring in odd right. right where it's just like get out your copy of uh outdoor survival right and good luck with that <laughs> here are some tables um yeah and and I remember you you I remember you specifically talking about how like it was just it felt like you were coming to the table with so little that you were really paranoid that there was no way you were going to fill a whole game with mm-hmm. like the tiny mm-hmm. amount of content you were walking to the table with, and it went off like Gangbusters right everyone loved it we roamed around the wilderness we we've encountered strange <laughs> monsters and uh, uh, you know happened upon castles and keeps of of NPCs that we weren't sure are they good are they evil we don't know um and it was super fun right so over the years rather than just replaying the same thing you kind of did the continuation right so the next year maybe we were a level higher maybe a level higher and eventually that kind of culminated in we raided a a castle i think and and claimed it for our own or like this is ours now and then the next year you began with great you own this castle
0: yeah, I think, I, think, I mean, you, over, the, over the couple of years we were playing it, I think um, the characters knocked over over several castles. <laughs> and then yeah. the thing that changed at some point, they went, well, you know what, this one, we're going to stay at this one. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's, okay, that's different. And so that, you know, quickly impinges on uh, transitioning the game from roving bands of near do happy, you know, band of brothers to uh, running domains. And, um, and that kind of highlights, I will point out, in original D&D, there, they, you have these costs on this page. There's nothing about construction times or labor. There's nothing there. Mm-hmm. So I'll say that the one time uh, when I was playing as a teenager and my characters took the opportunity at high level to build a castle out of the expert rules, never even occurred to me, I don't think. Just hand wave, money, money comes off your character sheet, a castle is a present now. Um, and <laughs> so, it is totally what t- I think. Pretty much exactly what happened. And my character, my my players did actually design a castle on graph paper once. But yeah, in this uh, in this more recent game with uh, with tasteful adult players, um, you know, maybe it, what we discovered was it's it's far easier for high level characters, particularly when you have a whole band of them, to just knock over an existing castle and take it over. Um, yep. You don't even have to. You just just skip the whole. Price costing, layout, labor issues, and just say, well, you know, just just I'm just going to take one. And um, (laughs) if you've got if you've got a whole group, and for us we were playing with as many as ten or twelve players, actually, all that level. And you attack a castle with a bunch of normal people and maybe one single high level leader. It's very uh, uh, you know very possible to fairly easily take it over, and that is a much more efficient way of taking over the castle now the problem was as you're pointing out and i totally agree the discovery was that year when i came in to actually use some i wasn't planning on the whole game being domain play but i came in and you have to make some decisions about what are you going to invest in who are you going to hire what things do you want you know what magic items do you want to try constructing and the game just ran into a brick wall particularly with some players wanting to engage in that and some players not wanting to engage in that and some players wanted to dig in were, were really enthusiastic about that which i thought was great and really wanted to dig into that deeply and some players wanted to keep playing normal D. and how can you how can you not respect that if, i want to go out and i want to be adventuring with monsters and caves and i don't want to spend any time at all with a spreadsheet doing middle management chores um, and yeah, I had, I had a problem at my table and I didn't foresee it and it's 100% my fault for not seeing that. So I do think there's a big, big danger there as you, as the game suddenly becomes a completely different thing, um, that you probably need to check in with your players, have a conversation and maybe, maybe that totally different gameplay, maybe that's really more for solo play, uh, by email perhaps, with, with it. And the other thing I find is that it's very awkward, right? The whole concept of being a liege lord. I mean, in reality, that's one person. It's not an oligarchical group run by a committee. So I find that a lot of a lot of adventures and stuff try to manage that fairly awkwardly of like, well, you're, you know, you're a lord, you're a medieval lord, but you're also just kind of a democratic group as well, uh, but, you know, just you five or six, and I find that gets really, really awkward at that point, so there's a lot of trouble spots mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will say that I feel like that progression
1: is the, is exactly what I see in this, uh, in, in my entire history of playing this, whether it was, you know, you're now barons and own this castle, or even just, you bought a nice house together in this town because this is the town you hang out in all the time, or uh, you bought a ship so that you can go from, you know, landmass to landmass to go adventuring. Regardless, inevitably, it falls down for me into some players love to dig into all the details of, you know, let me outfit my room, my, you know, the guards, the, you know, the staff of our nice house, the, the crew mm-hmm. of our pirate ship. Right? they want to get into all the nitty-gritty details of maintaining that thing and then half the tables rolling their eyes and saying well when do we get the fight right like this is boring yeah. what happened to adventure right now we're just now we're just stewards of this building or you know <laughs> yeah middle management tasks as you point out right <laughs> it falls into that very rapidly um yeah
0: yeah. And it's funny because i keep running i mean i personally keep running into this this danger as as a game runner of you know you've seen that in our outdoor spoliation games and again i you know I, i've always been a dungeon master so i've always had the the whole book in front of me and i've mm-hmm. always seen those and those illustrations right i mean they're like a lot of original dnd is illustrated it's like just raw text and you see those nifty pictures of castles uh, in Original D&D by Arneson, or I think there's a, there's in the expert rules, there's this lovely piece of art by Bill Willingham that I just adore all the time that attracts my eye there. I want to see this. And then I run into this game. Well, there you go. So, um, so we don't, we don't, we don't honestly give, we don't usually show the love that we hold for the Moldvay Cook. Basic expert rules on camera. So I'm really, I'm so glad that you pulled up this page <laughs> from the expert rules because there's the art by Bill Willingham and just slightly edited list of castle elements, just like we saw, I yeah. think, in Arneson's. Yeah, work it's, there.
1: The, it's basically the same content, right, from the R&D right? page we looked at, except not handwritten, right? Like now it's okay. Right. Nice and tables and nice print, but it's still ultimately just here are the costs for all the bits and bobs of how to build your castle and no guidance whatsoever for what the heck does the game turn into when <laughs> when you own a castle uh-huh.
0: uh, uh, uh uh steven wendell there uh agrees with me frank favorite page favorite page of the book yep. and i totally agree with steven on that as a matter of fact and uh yeah same same content uh he he adjusted the prices a bit the same the second table is the same supplemental table for stairs and doors and trap doors and all kinds of stuff like that mm-hmm. um which is so delightful. So I have had, uh, I have actually have had player characters at a particular level, turn through this page and construct a dungeon, uh, construct a castle on graph paper playing in the, the basic D and D known world. Um, and so, you know, and, and then, you know, and then the game changed a bit. So I don't know if you, you remember this, Paul, but you and I met at a video game company in Boston low, these many years ago called genetic anomalies that was later uh, purchased by THQ, if anybody remembers that big video game company. And at least when when I started there, there were a lot of ideas at this, at this company that, that we started at for what is the next game we're gonna make. And at one point there were discussions of for a fantasy massively multiplayer online game as we were thinking about might be a possibility. And so I came up with this design of like, you can be adventurers and you're going into dungeons and you're getting treasures and then you're going to level up and at some point you start unlocking capacities to become the master of the world and you can start building your own dungeons and you can start building your own castles and make protection for the gold and the treasures that you've gotten from your adventures and so forth and i was personally really excited about and then your players start to become content creators of the world And is isn't this great and again Somebody had to turn to me and go, Dan, you realize that's a totally different game. <laughs> and yeah,
1: yeah. not everybody
0: <laughs> wants like is like you wanting to be the dungeon master full time all the time. And I was like, yeah, oh yeah. God, you're right. Not everybody. Yeah, yeah. you're right. <laughs> so I've had to get this, yep. I've had to get this message delivered to me multiple times, including the very first place that you and I met, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's it's
1: it's tough. Now I've had I've had cases where the party does align. I want to I want to talk a little bit about boats. Let's talk about boats because uh, I have a long history of dealing with dealing with this problem in boats. Um, and uh, spoilers coming here for folks who haven't watched uh, TDR or uh, don't know the Warhammer uh, classic Warhammer campaign that we ran in TDR, which was called The Enemy Within. But here you go. This is the cover of. Mm. Uh, What is now called part two, but in the original printing was part three, uh, death on the Reich, uh, where this part of the adventure, the party gets a boat, right? They get a boat and they're introduced to a larger swath of the empire and they have this map of rivers they can run up and down. And they're encouraged to partake in mercantilism, right? Of like, hey, you can transport goods from town A to town B. And it totally turns into, again, that kind of bookkeeping, you know, middle management stuff. Now in TDR, I tried to boil this down. I tried to simplify it as best I could. And I presented it to the players. I was like, here's an optional thing you can engage in. If you want, you own this boat. You can move goods up and down. And it took maybe one session before all of them were like, nope, nope, nope. Don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. They they basically hired an NPC to live on the boat and deal with the merchant stuff. And like, you just, (laughs) you know, load up goods for us and sell goods as we move around. Make a profit for us and give us a share whatever that's your job we're gonna just use the boat as transport to get from place to place and do fun adventures um so so that's interesting um unusual i'd say that I, i lucked into a group where all four of them were like yep this is this is what we want this is not what we want um but uh but yeah i i've had you know so the other okay sorry the other classic problem with this is mm-hmm. guess what happens at the beginning of part 3 of um of the uh, enemy within
0: probably the boat sinks the boat sinks exactly the boat <laughs> sinks
1: you take the boat away from them the boat sinks <laughs> and I've have, I, have, I have run that countless times now where the party, you know, and I've had cases I remember in high school running a campaign where the party needed to get to some far off place and I thought maybe they'll rent a boat, maybe they'll buy a boat, maybe they'll steal a boat, I don't know. They bought a boat and then spent an entire session outfitting the boat they all got into it they were all super excited and i'm sitting there thinking i gotta sink this thing (laughs) (laughs) the the plot of the adventure they're about to go is they go to this remote island and the boat sinks and they get stuck there like that's the plot of the adventure and now they're gonna hate me when i sink this boat
0: You know, I have, so I have such a, a love for boats and actually right behind my, see uh, that red, uh, that, what size is that red book and that blue book right there are books on medieval yeah. shipping actually that I try to feed into my games like that and i have i'll I'll confess i really i mean i want to get it right enough that i've wound up not actually doing it (laughs) which which, so i'm always i always find this you know very enticing and you know as you as you say that i'm like oh right you can on the rivers and you know what the rivers have only you know uh limited places you can go so it's actually like a dungeon and, and it's very manageable oh i i want to do that so much um now, what this ever trade is a very done, interesting
1: thing. I would yeah. say. And, and it's presented yeah. really, like, if you want to see it presented well in an interesting way for a game, look at Death on the Reich. Very fascinating. Too much in depth, I think. It's too in depth. And unless you have the right group of players, they're going to reject this, you know, or half of them are going to yeah. reject it and half of yeah. them are going to love yeah. it. And then some people are bored and some people love it. But, like, yeah. Yeah. It, it is nice, right? Because you have all these. How long does it take to get from this city to that city, and how much money does it cost, and what is the cost of this good versus that good at these different cities, and
0: mm-hmm. all in there. So uh, it's one of these things whereby that whole those whole issues of like both running a domain and possibly trade and stuff are just gently just gently uh, implied in original D and D sources, and like there's this there's this part in um, in original D and D on making baronies. I think I can just hold it up here that says here's some stuff that um you could possibly um invest in right here's some stuff road building canals inns hunting that's it there's no detail the dm has to make up all that stuff and i think as usual um that is a a massively cut down version of something that dave arneson wrote and you can see the fuller version in his first fantasy campaign frankly along with some other stuff they might want to not want to see so the, the whole details of actually running it were never either domains or wars or trading were never fully detailed in classic DD. the thing that this does make me think of is i played quite a bit of classic star frontiers which which i very much like and in the spaceship set the, the star frontiers nighthawk set they do have a fully formed system for running a spaceship traveling between different stars and doing trade between different interstellar systems. And they have, like, the difference between uh, an agricultural systems products versus an industrial systems products. And you can buy one here and sell one there for a higher amount of money. So I have actually, you know, played that in terms of spaceships. And look, for, for teenagers, for what it's worth at the time for teenagers, you know, some of us would look at those, like one of my players would look at the table and go, I can get fifty thousand credits just for one single ship's worth of cargo. I love it. Definitely do yeah. that. I just got fifty thousand credits and I didn't have to fight or anything and put my life on the line or anything. That's great. um and nowadays that you know moving around particular <laughs> integer values on the character sheet might not be quite so exciting for a lot of us, mm. and we want some slightly more narratively impactful experience from our game. But uh, once upon a time, that was that was enough. Leveling up and getting money, you know, was actually enough of an excitement to, um, you know, to count as a, as a great experience. Now, the other thing playing with Star Frontiers, and I don't know if you thought about this with your the ship's going to sink issue, is that if you do get in a fight on the high seas or in outer space, it might be, you know, one roll. And okay, the ship blew up, and well, that's a TPK. <laughs> that was a one-roll TPK. The whole—you have no chance. You're in outer space or the deep sea or something like that, and everybody mm-hmm. just drowned. And you could—and there's the possibility at that scale of wiping out the entire party with one single die roll. That's happening at a different scale of action, and nobody—I I don't think anybody's going to be happy with that, particularly when you know none of the players had any control over that at that moment. Right. And also, like, how well, do you should... decide on the action and, like, who's, you know, maybe you can split it up like I'm the navigator, you're the gunner or something like that, but it's still kind of awkward. Yeah.
1: I mean, I've seen this problem even in, when we're talking about, like, the ship sinks, right? Let me, let me focus in on that. The ship sinks, right? Um, I've, I've also seen this problem where the players buy a, a nice house or a tavern in town mm-hmm. where, like, we always go back to this town, we're going to buy this tavern, we're going to mm-hmm. hire a barkeep to run it while we're away, but it's a place for us to come back to and, and call home. Um, and, and that falls in the same problem as the castle problem of some players just get really into like outfitting their rooms and stuff. And then other players are like, can we please leave and stop playing housekeeping, the role playing game? Um, uh, by the way, you know, this is endemic, sorry, I'm I'm all super into a tangent now, but like, I remember when I was listening to Critical Role, it happens to them, they, they absolutely get a house in a town and they spend half a session at least describing how they decorate their rooms. And I'm like, "Okay." Oh, okay. Real, <laughs> some of them are really into it and some of them are like rolling yeah. their eyes going, "Can we please just move on?" Um Fascinating. Anyway, Fascinating. sorry. So, I've had cases where they spend a bunch of time, they get very invested in that and then like the town gets attacked, right? Like something horrible happens. It gets invaded. The whole town is 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 trashed. Right? Invaded by hobgoblins and they kill the Baron while well, the players are away or or what? Mm-hmm. Or maybe the players are there and they just fail to defend the town because mm-hmm. Dan Collins is running the uh, other side in the Book of War game that simulates the attack. Uh, that, that happens sometimes.
0: <laughs> or maybe they and were so challenged like, to a joust, Paul.
1: Yeah, maybe they were challenged to a joust. Now in this case, I'm thinking specifically of the, uh, the Siege of Bridgefair. if you remember that. Um. Yep. So. So. Yeah. Town gets destroyed, and the thing is that the the, the tavern or the t- house or the boat they've kind of become another character at that point, right? The players have have mm-hmm. spent mm-hmm. all the time customizing it that it's like this jointly held character, and you've just just fiat taken it away, right? It's just as bad as like y- you die no save, right? I agree. The characters that characters just gone. Right. Tough disintegrate spell done right like yes yes some of us are okay with having that mechanic in it um but i think especially in the case of like the boat sinks because terrible weather or or even worse because the plot demands it Right, See, right yeah that that, that, feels, makes me that feels really bad yeah, yeah right. right people and so on
0: like- the same on the same note uh you know uh, 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 traditionally you've got all these details for how you construct your castle and then you know, and i have had players in in the, the basic known world do that and then do, do, does it ever come into play like does it ever do you ever actually run a siege or an attack on that castle that it winds up m- making a difference about whether you put a size one tower here or a size two tower or one layer of curtain walls versus yeah. two and yeah. it, you know you could if, if on the one hand it's very easy for a dm and i think that this is this is very much how you know classic dms get a bad name to go well, I want to make it interesting. I want to make the the design of your castle matter. So on Wednesday, there's an invasion. There's an invasion. You're getting you're getting you're getting besieged, and there's orcs coming over the walls. Um, but I I personally, as DM, get uncomfortable by with this this fiat. I'm just going to attack to take away your stuff because it's there. It seems like a very an overly easy gesture to make, frankly. So yep. if I were going to do that, I would only be comfortable if I had a rigorous system and some people in the chat are suggesting like other books that have those types of systems that I can fairly roll on that you're not getting attacked every single season because that's the only thing I D de- as DM could think of, but yep. classic D&D never had such a system. So uh so I personally have actually never attacked the players castle because it didn't, it honestly didn't seem fair to me because it was too obvious a thing to do, frankly, and therefore the design of the castle never mattered. So you're kind of damned Ooh. if you do and damned if you don't on that. Yeah. I will say that the boat issue is a little
1: different just because boat is also transport, right? It's also mm-hmm. a, yep. a means to an end if we need to get to this location. And I remember in that high school game I played, um, and this, uh, sorry, this is such a weird technical side note, but specifically I was trying to run game quagmire x6 um
0: funny you should bring that up yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah so i'm kind of curious what you have to say about that module dan i know uh i see in your notes here that uh it features but um so so i think the plot of that was for me in that case quagmire actually you know i'm pretty sure the quagmire starts right with like you receive a message in a bottle kind of thing go find this Mm -hmm. place. Yeah. So. Um, right, so I sank their boat and they were just super, super upset about it, and it turned into a horror show where one player decided they were gonna go down with the ship and, oh, <laughs> and See? others very like easy swam to for happen. the shore. <laughs> and then they were just yeah. so mad at each other by the end they got they ended up getting into a fight with each other, and they let you know, so we had this bloodbath on the beach scene where it's just like, all right, we're not, <laughs> we're not playing this at all.
0: Let's just
1: kill <laughs> each other at this point, fine. Um uh-huh. On the other hand, if you watch TDR, the interesting thing that happens in TDR is I just decided not to sink the boat, and I just continued to present the content. And the interesting thing is the content moves to an area that's not accessible by boat, right? And so, you know, does it matter that the players have a boat docked somewhere? I kind of figured probably not. And interestingly, what the players on TDR ended up doing is they said, well, we have to go do this thing, and we're going to be gone for months. We're just going to give the boat to the NPC until, like, oh. You did a great job. Congratulations. The boat is yours now." And I was so delighted wow. by that outcome, frankly. It was a delightful yeah, outcome because wow. I was like, great, now I have a friendly NPC with a boat in the world. Like, I can use that, <laughs> right? That that's, is a wonderful... That's... Thank you for that present, players.
0: <laughs> as as traditional DMs, that's so shockingly surprising because it's so antithetical to the way that we normal D&D players normally work. Of just like be, being charitable like that. I don't know what the name that's whatever that is, that's the anti-murder hobo. I this there's, there's gonna be some proper name for just roaming around giving away massive treasures to nice people. That's I'm not used to that, admittedly.
1: Uh, charitable hobos.
0: <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's it was that's fantastic. I was, I was super
1: pleased about it because yeah. I was like, I love just having that research. Anytime they invent. I love it when my players invent NPCs or make minor NPCs major because they decide they like them. Like, great. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's content in my let me world. Throw up,
0: let me, let me throw up a, a comment by, uh, by Joshua Mesa here in the cat in the chat that, that I think is a great idea. And it, I wasn't smart enough to come up with this on my own for a long time. And Josh is saying on the point of, are you going to attack your player's castle or townhouse or sink their ship? Josh uh, saying, I actually explicitly tell my players that I'm not going to do that. Um, it limits me as GM, but what I have to do to get them invested and in, in other things like that. And um, so I, uh, I, I think that's a really, I think that's a really fair idea, actually. And hmm. so when in my last uh, long-running D&D campaign, the players, kind of like you're saying, Paul, wound up buying a, a house in town. And, you know, it's funny because at one point they, they started to get up in levels. They had some money and I actually handed them that page from original D&D with the construction possibilities. And the player I handed it to just kind of crossed his eyes and went, I can't follow what I don't understand what this page is trying to get me to do. <laughs> and we're just like, I don't, I don't know what this entails. I'm like, okay, we're, we're in a different place situation. Fantastic. And i said well you can buy you can buy a house for this amount of money and they went great we buy this house and so as uh william also said in the chat a while back he said um i think the steward seneschal major domo npc is a must for any home base let me actually put that on screen right now so there's william saying yeah i think the steward seneschal major domo npc is a must for home base ironic because I do think of William himself as the major domo for the Wandering DMs channel. Actually, as he manages the chat, <laughs> it and stuff like that. so it's a little bit of a made a comment. I don't know if William realized that. <laughs> and, 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 and and that ex- excellent idea is exactly what I did with that with the characters uh, townhouse in their last games. I brought in uh, a, an NPC butler. And I, and I think another really easy thing to do is to have the, uh, the sinister vizier character of like the, the, the character comes in to take control of your house. And then three sessions later, oh, flip the script. They're an evil spy and they steal all your stuff that you've been storing there and stuff like that. And so I felt that it was a bit of a switch to very um, scrupulously, like Josh and William were saying, absolutely not do that. And have this particular NPC be completely trustworthy and uh, have a little bit, a little dash of Alfred Pennyworth and a little dash of Radar O'Reilly so that uh, when one of the characters go, geez, I really wish that we had an X, the, the the NPC would just walk in the room and go, hey, I got you an X. (laughs) <laughs> right? At that, and, and, and my, my players were starting to go oh there's going to be some complication i guess we have to go shopping for whatever and just have the npcs just walk in the room and go hey i thought you well, might need an x i got it for you
1: <laughs> that's amazing
0: and right that's and so fantastic. that actually cleared up right that allowed us to actually yeah. make the game uh, work a lot more smoothly and mm-hmm. uh instead of my my terrible mistake with our o- outdoor spoliation games of throwing domain management on people who didn't didn't want it use that mechanic to actually smooth out a whole bunch of details that none of us are interested in um and that so using good. using the using the explicitly trustworthy major domo or npc of your ship to manage that stuff that actually made a lot of a lot of flexibility it actually made a lot of very nice things in games a matter of fact And I enjoyed playing that character, too. I actually really enjoyed playing the walk-in with the, hey, I resupplied the wine cellar in case you want a big party tonight. Just right after they go, we should hold a big party.
1: (laughs) I think think you must delight in it so much because players so don't expect that from a Dan Collins-run game.
0: What?
1: (laughs) Clearly, clearly this guy's got other motives. We can't trust him. Fire, kill him. Kill the major domo! Kill him right now. Don't trust him. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> that was what was happening that was exactly what was happening and it was it was really fun to play off that <laughs> that's amazing yeah yeah, yeah. and so uh, people in the chat are saying and of course you know it's funny because in original D&D, there there's most traditional D and this is still in fifth edition have the issue of uh you know how do you upkeep your characters in town over time and there might be uh, price list and third edition had like what style of life do you have original D&D has this uh, uh you've got to pay one percent of your experience your current experience in gold per month to upkeep it if i recall correctly but if you buy if you get a stronghold or a base then that goes away and that's that's the primary advantage to having a castle or a base at least an original D&D, is that your monthly upkeep just goes away Now, interestingly, in first edition, that flipped around. So now you have to pay for maintenance of the castle instead. Uh, But uh, I think that I think the the instinct there was good of have the stronghold clean up some ephemeral details like upkeep or what you're eating or where you're living or your ammunition or things like that. Um, And I think that's a very good instinct of have it have it uh, clean up some stuff that you don't want to think about anymore. I will. I will say.
1: I want to go back to, um, like you know, simply making explicit that you will never uh, attack their boat or their stronghold or whatnot. Um, that one case where we did run a book of war game against the town that the, that the players had been kind of considering their home base for the whole campaign. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that was born not of like, uh this is your home base. I want to destroy it uh it might have been a little bit born of like hey book of war the promises you can work into your D&D campaign i want to see if that's true um but but more so it just came from the plot of the game as it was unfurling that routinely throughout the D&D campaign that we were playing there was this threat of there's this invading force and it's building up and like one of these days it's going to land on our shores it's going to be bad um and i just wanted to i wanted to realize that and then and then i thought oh this is also a chance to like test out book of war and really, uh, really play it out. Um, Of course, you know, I think actually, if I think back, I think I actually did successfully kind of defend the town. Not really because, um, uh, because I think like a huge section of the town got destroyed and there was a power shift in who was in charge of the town as a result. Right. So things definitely changed. They did repel the invaders ultimately. But uh, I think uh, if I call, uh, there was a straight might have different
0: memories escaped. about
1: that. I think there was a necromancer who escaped somewhere that they later had to go hunt down because they were like, okay, evil necromancer hiding. It's hiding out somewhere in our, in our town that we care about. But it was a lot of fun. And the point was, I didn't have a preconceived notion of the outcome. right? I didn't actually yeah, have any right. investment into whether the, the town was going to get destroyed or saved. I was like, I'm curious. I could, I could reduce it to a coin flip or a die roll. But instead let's let's play a fun war game and, and that will dictate the outcome so so i want to say there are cases where it is fun to play out like yep attack the town attack the
0: stronghold do it oh yeah yeah um yeah i you, yeah, I, I feel like like we wanted to do and i will point i will just as a little side note about that particular game book of war has this funny tendency to come down to like one figure on both sides and for some hmm. weird reason that i can't figure out about half the time the the two sides decimate each other down to one character one figure each and that's pretty close to what happened that game actually so we we had giant armies filling up this giant table and you had it in what 10 millimeter even i was using um, ten millimeter uh, to, figures. to, to yeah, begin yeah, with
1: to really and they
0: were just massive battles on both sides massive swings on both sides and then there's this like desperate desperate last scene of i've basically just got one necromancer i'm just down to one guy and 10 <laughs> skeletons and there's one figure of player characters on the other side uh busting through this hole in the wall of the of the town um and that has a funny tendency to happen with book of war for some reason, so it was yeah. it was mass devastation on both sides uh, yeah, in that nice. game so yes. i mean you you kind of want that i mean as i as I think about it, again, I could imagine and i've I've done stuff like this in other you know wilderness gamings of making the mechanics completely transparent to the players. So they know um, what decisions to make as far as what part of the world is dangerous or less dangerous. And I could imagine similarly having a system for, you know, domain events or things that could happen in town on a monthly basis for a random role and just showing it to the players and just say, if you build a castle, here's the table that I'm going to run and r- roll on quarterly. And there's a 2% chance that there's an orcish invasion each month based on where you are. And is that, are you happy? Are you comfortable with the decision to build here? And I could at least imagine that is something I would personally be be comfortable with. Yeah, yeah. That is interesting. Hmm. hmm.
1: Alright, I wanna know, Dan, um why why is X six on your list to talk about?
0: i was so happy bring up let me let's look at it let's look, so so, okay. so people may not know this classic module the um so this is the wilderness map from dungeons and dragons expert module x6 quagmire and uh so in the whole x series uh that's where in the known world you're at you're at the level where you can adventure in the wilderness so every single module expanded the known world with a, with a big wilderness map and um you can see that this is somewhat awkward in the book it's a two-page layout and on the one hand you want to hold it um portrait style the way that it's mapped but they put the text landscape style because you're probably going to open it up that way so it's a little bit awkward as as usual in these products um every hex is 24 miles in size so the reason why i pulled out this out is this is where my player characters built their castle so and and it's Oh, because you and I have just slightly different opinions of this adventure, I guess. I mean, we both have weird experience with it, I guess. I guess that's a commonality. So my player characters got the message in the bottle, and they came to this area and they scouted out the sinking cryptic cities in this giant swamp lane in the middle. And the thing and I was like, eh. my my critique of all of those uh, all of those adventures. Is that they, they they maximally suffer from the giant howling wilderness that's totally empty issue. And so this if you the scale of this map is it's about the same size as Europe, frankly. Okay, broadly speaking, it's it's somewhat it's somewhat larger than Europe. Um, okay. and there are exactly two inhabited communities on this map, and you can see Kind of on the northern third, over on the left, uh, there's this the, the, the neck of the peninsula where this trade route goes across. The only two communities in this entire map are on either end of that um, trade route there that goes across the peninsula. And what are they called? Sea Mule and Mule Beach and Sea Coast sea or something like that. There you go. So those are the only two communities. And one is a fairly small town and one is an unwalled village. And in this entire yeah. area, and then, and then you get some, some ruined areas that are supposed to be the adventure areas. And other than that, there is absolutely no human life in this entire Europe sized map. So my players uh, did the adventure here, and then they went, wait a minute, this whole this place, there's no kingdom here, there's no defense, so we could easily just take over this whole thing. And so they, yeah. they went back. To the civil normal civilized uh, lands got a couple of ships hired some mercenaries with the costs that are in the book that were very affordable for them and came back and just knocked over these two cities and now they own this whole territory <laughs> because apparently it's all there because there's no competitors and there's no opposing kingdoms or anything like that and it's just all theirs and so um, it's uh, it was on Sea Camel in the town where they built their castle. As a matter of fact, so that right there is where my player took a piece of graph paper and said, "Here's my castle." And then I'm like, "Wow, I guess they can just have like a Europe-sized empire. I guess if they want, what do I do now?" And there was just like all kinds of question marks in my head. But that is where my players made their base and actually made the one castle according to the original Fascinating. rules. Fascinating. That's fine. It was there. Uh, yeah. Is- yep. Yeah. So very yeah, much on I, my mind, and I I've made maps of those hexes, and I know exactly where the river runs because I was thinking about thinking about those kinds of issues, and I think maybe I'd add one invasion of the small village or something like that. Um, so I'm I'm intimately familiar with that map because that is where my players made their base.
1: I definitely spent a lot less time on the wilderness side of this module. It was really just about get to this remote location via ship so that we can investigate. Um, I like, I really like the uh, interesting um, gimmick of this particular module, which is that there are three locations that are all identical in theory, right? There's three locations that have the same interior, three towers. They all have the same map, but they've undergone different changes. Like one is sunk into a swamp, right? Or one's underwater or something. I can't remember exactly, but they're Mm -hmm. very different once you get there based on the contents and what's happened over time. And that's that's a trope that I've stolen and adapted to my own. I wrote my own module that that uses that trope because I like that trope, but I wasn't crazy about the rest of the content in X1. Agreed. Let me, Agreed. Just, let me just steal that little nugget of an idea and redo it myself.
0: In uh, my opinion, you did it better, Paul. Um, having having you know run this and played in, in your game, uh, like my initial impression of this reusing the same dungeon layout of this adventure was that felt frankly cheap to me it felt like oh you're just you know just you're you're not you're not giving me three maps you're just giving me one map and saving design time of coming up with a reason why they're all identical and your um your adventure it was actually important to the plot so it actually became a, a critical issue that we discovered that they were the same and used that to our advantage. And that actually became, that actually had a payoff yeah. to it. Yeah, that it allowed, I didn't the, it allowed get the party this, to then, that six module. right, it allowed the party to kind of target,
1: right, further. Like, okay, when we go to location three, we know we need to get from here to here, right? Okay, there's a new, <laughs> right? I think in mine, one of them was on top of a mountain and it was all crumbling and falling to pieces. One of them was in a swamp and semi submerged and sunken. And the third one was completely inhabited by hobgoblins. And they had taken it over Mm -hmm. as their base. Um, And I want to think that maybe it was that one that you did last. But by then you were like, no, we know the layout. We know where we want to go. We know how to, like, get in there. (laughs) Which was nice. It was a nice payoff. You're like, okay, surgical strike,
0: go. And you know what? I will confess I made a mistake as a player in that game that I did the bit of I did the bit of metagaming myself out of the game of going, oh, I recognize that these are the same structure. And I think at least for a while I was saying, I'm gonna pretend that I don't realize that, because it's gonna spoil the game. But then it became and then other players realized, no, we need to use that knowledge about where the <laughs> stuff Man. is. And I was like, Oh, I'm just I'm doing the same mistake I tell other people not to do. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, I know that's the only time you've seen me make a mistake in playing Dean D Paul. <laughs> so I'm sure that I'm sure that made a big impact on you.
1: Yeah, it did. <laughs> know that Dan was fallible. Really it god.
0: Shook my world. I'm glad we have one example of that. <laughs> oh dear. I don't know if anybody saw uh, Pool of Radiance last Monday, but um, you know, it's a thing. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, yeah, uh,
1: that was. You know,
0: something. it's funny. So, let, me, let me say, yeah. while I was while I was researching this, you know, I couldn't help but pull down uh, my 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 copies of Fritz Leiber's uh, Fafford and the Gray Mouser because, interestingly, this this awkward struggle that we have with the game changing when you get to Strongholds absolutely happens in the literature of Fat from the Gray Mouser. The exact same thing happens with Liber. And of course Liber wrote those stories for 50 years or more from the thirties up to almost 1990. And we all know, right? The thing that sticks in our head is Fat from the Gray Mouser as the pair of near-do-well adventures. And they're roaming around. They have a bunch of episodic adventures. And then in 1976, Liber flipped that. And in 1976, there's a story called the Frost Monstream, where they're in a tavern and uh, Fafford says, this is unacceptable. We can't do this anymore. We need to lead men. We need to have a home. We should have wives. And they leave Lankmar and they never come back. And they go to a different part of the world called Rhyme Isle. And it's, in my opinion, it's a much less colorful uh, area. And sure enough, they they take over as lords and they run castles and they have captains and they get they basically get wives, and the whole tone of the stories never recover. They never they never get back to that same place, and it now becomes very much their defenders, and it's very much high fantasy as possibly evil things invade their territory, and the tone is radically different in lots and lots of ways, and it's so fascinating that that exact same issue comes up in the pulp fantasy literature with with libra's works he he, he, he falls for that exact same problem in late era i would
1: say it, it it shows up as well in joel rosenberg's guardians of the flame series um great which exam. is a great series love it love the first three novels after that it gets into uh he's got a castle and he's got a child and then maybe so there's there's you know second generation characters and it's just I, there's a lot of problems, frankly, I think, with with the later books, but but I definitely don't make it through them as well as it's not. It's not the same. It's not the, it's not the adventure I signed up for. Right. The adventure I signed Great up example. for is real world characters get sucked into a and d world must survive. And now we're in this weird like, yep, we've lived here for decades. This just is our lives now and we're settled and. Uh, yeah, and domain management, and we're we're middle managers, and yeah, no thanks, not what I signed up for.
0: I will. I'm going to give. I, unusually, I'm going to give. Uh, I, I don't usually call out um, Frank Menser's Beckme Beckme rules, where he he finally actually produced a companion set that we've been promised for so many years for for a high level domain type play, and I will. I'll praise that. That um, the he 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 puts that up front. He makes it explicit so um when you do hit ni- name level which is to say nine level eleven those rules there's a very explicit decision every single class you have to make a decision are you going to be a land owning version of a fighter or cleric or magic user or are you going to be a traveling fighter cleric or magic user and um so i do um i have to salute the making that explicit and making it a decision, and what, what the games, uh, what the, how the game is going to be different on those two different paths. And at least in his later rules, you know, if you are particularly for fighters, if you're land owning, you're going to become a baron, and you're probably going to get a castle, and you will get income, and you'll be working with a liege probably. And if you decide to become a traveling high level fighter, then that unlocks these subclasses of paladin or knight. Or Avenger, which you can only choose at ninth level in those rules. So hmm. um, you know, whereas in, in uh, other editions, you kind of you kind of backed into it semi by accident. At least at least he was making this clear bifurcation clear uh, in his rules. So plus one plus one for Frank Menser on that one. Interesting, interesting.
1: Hmm. And have you ever played with those rules?
0: No, I use the I used the, the mold Bay cook basic expert. Um, and I did not. I did not actually play with stuff after that. I, I think I think like at the end of my high school group, right at the end, we got to the big uh, red arrow black shield adventure where there is a worldwide conflict. And we're playing out the war game. We didn't get to complete it. But hypothetically, the very next thing would be, now you are running kingdoms, and I, I pro- probably would have started using those rules as the next thing, possibly. Hmm. Interesting.
1: And like, have I mean, a couple of things that come out of this conversation, Dan, that I like. I like the, the there should always be a major Domo character, right, just, just build it in right off the bat. You've got an NPC who can take care of things for you. Uh, I also like, possibly, allowing for players to dig in asynchronously, right? Okay, you want to you micromanage the major domo, you want out, to lay out the exact outline of your stronghold, fine, you can do that in your own time. We'll, we'll email about it, we'll text about it, whatever, we'll talk about it, but not at sessions, not at game sessions, that's yeah. not what the game is. Yeah,
0: about. agreed. That's my lesson from uh, my outdoor survival uh, problem that I created. And I think some other people have mentioned it in the chat. Is, you know, if and that's that's great. I mean, that is that is that's perfect in a lot of ways. And we know that with Dave Arneson's games and people were lords there, and he was very war gamey, people were calling him on the phone outside of game in order to do stuff. And so that, you know, uh, would make for an excellent, you know, in the old days, play by mail war game or play by email or have a website or something like that to offload that. And that would be something that's really great. For one player at a time to interact with, you might only have one player that really wants to interact with that stuff, and great, they can be the lord or they can be the captain of the castle, and they can be making those kinds of strategic uh, decisions uh, away from the table. And I think that's a great opportunity. And I have had some experiences with um, with players one on one where they were actually very interested in what they might do at a high level, and so um, you know that's a different type of game. It's not five people roust about at a table but um that could be a very enjoyable experience i want to do yep. that
1: yeah oh. and I, I don't think it, it takes anything away too from the, everyone else's experience if anything it gives that player a little moment to shine potentially when uh you know we're we're running around the uh the, the castle owned by one of the characters and there are invaders at the gates. And he says, ah, but if you remember DM, I built a Sally port in the Southeast quadrant. <laughs> yep.
0: You did. <laughs> <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> decisions should matter. Frankly, decisions yeah. should matter. Right. So
1: it, yeah, we're just about out of time here. Do you have any final thoughts on strongholds in D and D?
0: Well, I think that you, you need to be tasteful about it. I think that, the, you know, our experiences have been uh, you want to be careful uh, with, with bringing that in and then backing into possibly domain management type stuff. So be, do be aware of how radically that's going to change the tone and the theme and the gameplay of your game. Um, it's, you know, hypothetically, it could very quickly end the whole roving play. And, you know, it'd be, it's a little bit unnatural to have this, you know, band of equal brothers relations. It, You know, there's a lot of stories and there's a lot of classic his- history, actually, of people that were very tight that then have a falling out when they get some power and then you start having power control relations. And uh, you want to be so that maybe that's an interesting game, but it's very different than what we think of as traditional D&D. So, uh, you know, and and as a a general rule, I think once in a while, Paul, we say, be careful about inserting other games in your game. Be careful about making a Dagwood sandwich of games and games and games. And the whole managing your stronghold falls in that category. So you have some flexibility. You have some flexibility of dialing in the abstraction level. Ask your players, what what are you interested? Are you interested in running a castle and running a kingdom because we can play a game like that? Or if not, we can avoid it. And so, if you if you ask which of those things they're interested in, you can avoid a lot of problems that I have personally created for myself. So you should you should do that. Oh my goodness!
1: Talk to your players.
0: Sage advice. <laughs> it hurts me, Paul. Admittedly, as an old school DM, it kind of hurts. It kind of hurts me. Hurts me. Uh, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's probably what a smart person, sh- a wise person, at least, should do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> Viewers, if you
1: have any thoughts on uh, your allowing your playgroup to build a stronghold or a home, uh, a tavern, a boat, uh, other home base of operations, how that affected your game, uh, content uh, out there in the world where it's in, uh, gamified, maybe where they actually get rules instead of just a table of costs, uh, let us know. Give us a post, uh, post in the comments here in, uh, on the YouTube video. Uh, tell us what you think. And uh, maybe we'll incorporate that into part two of Strongholds down the road.
0: Yeah, and we've had some good suggestions in the chat for other stuff already, like maybe, a, maybe another uh, episode just on managing downtime in general. And we could dig into upkeeps and creating magic yeah. items and training and all that kind of stuff that has uh, you know, been different iterations and different editions. So um, maybe that's that right there. But other comments for other stuff, I would, we would both really like to see that. And, of course, remember that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us, The Wandering DMs. We are on YouTube and Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, GitHub, TikTok. And we do have the handle Wandering DMs on all those sites. So take your social media platform of choice and follow us, and you'll see updates on upcoming shows.
1: If you prefer to listen to this show in audio only podcast format, you can do so. Those podcasts are available at our website at wanderingames.com. You can also find it on various podcast carriers such as Apple, uh, iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify. If you're listening to this show right now on one of those sites, please take a moment to rate and review us there. That helps other users of that site find us and we really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, it really does. And of course, big thanks to our patrons who support the show. And if you'd like to join them, please visit patreoncom DMs. And we have such a great community actually on our Discord server that you get access to when you join our Patreon. Actually, and we have great conversations. And after uh, the shows, there's ideas and shows that uh, ideas that fall into the shows. And um, we have uh, a room where people set up games actually on our Discord server. And Paul, you just recently set up a, a painting room. That uh, they get get streamed once in a while, I guess is the plan. So uh, yeah. feel free to join us there, and whichever of those things you're interested in, uh, we'd love to see you.
1: Yeah, you may notice the painting room stream come online now and again. That is uh, uh, the 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 not a show show that Wandering Ems has on our on our channel now. Uh, it is not scheduled at any specific time, and it's just sort of like when we feel like it. Um, but basically, there is a, um, a a video chat room in our Discord server that patrons have access to that they can come on and uh, paint together. And I started to start streaming that sometimes. So you may see that on the show. Uh, If you want to check it out and watch, uh, definitely uh, keep keep an eye on the channel for announcements Mm -hmm. of when that comes on. Or come join the Patreon and be a part of it.
0: I I enjoyed just hanging out and actually watching several of you guys all community painting the other week, actually, was like surprisingly enjoyable to me, as a matter of fact. Uh, Don't forget, of course, in addition to that, we have after show chat. So in about 10 minutes, we will be there to continue this conversation about Strongholds uh, live on video. So um, if you're uh, one of our patrons, we hope you'll see you there. And if you're not, we still hope you'll see we'll see you there by becoming a patron. Just throw a dollar into the, the till and that's that gets you access there. Um, and don't forget about upcoming shows. I will be back tomorrow night for more, for more pool radiance. Cause I am a glutton for punishment. <laughs> so it's late, late Monday night. Uh, I'll be, I'll also be back Thursday night for another session of uh, book of war season three, the most dangerous game. And, uh, I will be back with Dan Cullen in here for round two of our ongoing session. And then uh, next Sunday, we'll be back and we'll have a special guest. We'll have Mr. Matt Finch of Myth Mirror Games. And we're hoping that we'll be talking to him about his uh, revised edition of the Tome of Adventure Design. Paul and I use that on all of our uh, d- dungeon design dashes here live. So we'll probably have some questions about him, about what's in the revised edition that maybe we'll be using in the future. So look forward to that.
1: Awesome. Am I missing yeah, anything,
0: Paul? That's, uh, that's a pretty... That's a pretty full week, I think. Yeah, yeah,
1: for sure. Lots of activity on the
0: show. uh, Yeah, definitely, which we we should love to see. So don't forget, we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, So please please join us again next week for Mr. Matt Finch and another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.